Good morning, church. Today we'll find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And it reads, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, Storehouse family. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Uh, I'm not preaching this morning. I want you to know that I miss you, my wife and I are in the DFW, serving with Acts 29, which is our church planting network. Uh, but apart from that, I'm not here to talk so much about me. I'm here to leave you with two quick things before you dive into God's Word in Ecclesiastes this morning. Number one is a reminder about this coming Wednesday. We're having something called Paradox Wednesday at the Old Church Winery at 6.30 p.m. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do differently this year was host a service, a midweek service, before we enter into Holy Week. Holy Week consists of Palm Sunday and Good Friday and ultimately leads us to Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the person and work of Jesus through his resurrection. And so I just wanted to take a little bit of time to personally invite you to the Paradox Wednesday service that's happening once more on April 6th at 6.30 p.m. The second thing I wanna leave you with is I wanna to introduce to you your preacher this morning. Many of you know who he is. Some of you have seen him around. Some of you don't even know who he is at all. And so I wanna to introduce to you Nathaniel Summers, who is a member here at Storehouse McAllen. Nathaniel is a wonderful friend to many of us. He's been a wonderful friend to me. He has served in so many different capacities. He has been our connections director at one point. He served as our community group director at one point. He was on staff at one point. This guy loves the local church. He loves Jesus, loves his family and children, and loves to preach God's word. So let me introduce to you once more, Nathaniel Summers. Mm, that was really nice. As he said, my name is Nathaniel. Uh, I am really grateful to be here with y'all this morning, uh, especially because Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7 is pretty unique in Ecclesiastes, and so we've got some cool stuff to cover. But before we get into that, he talked about Paradox uh, Wednesday coming up this next week, and I want to show you this little booklet. It's uh, Easter Stories, and so this is a great uh, tool to use as, uh, to walk through Holy Week with your kids. And so I'm going to be doing this with my kids and my family uh, throughout the whole week. And these will be available on Wednesday in the Old Church Winery for you to just to take 
Okay, so this is going to be a resource for you guys for free. Uh, so please check it out uh, on Wednesday, but you have to be there to actually get it. So come on Wednesday. Um, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7 really is pretty unique. And I'm going to dive into why it's so special. Uh, but before we get there, I want to start our time out with a hypothetical situation. Something that might resonate with uh, many of you. So let's say your day starts, you get to work, you get to school, wherever you're going, and it's just one of those days where it's really, really dragging, right? It's tough. Everything is just a little bit more annoying. Every person that comes by is just a little more annoying, and you really don't want anything to do with the day. It's just a tough day. About mid-morning, though, you get a text and it's one of your closest friends, and they invite you out after work or after school to be able to go and grab dinner, grab a drink, grab coffee, go hiking, bowling, whatever your thing is, right? They send you this text and they invite you out. In that moment, you have an uplifting of spirit. The day, even though it seemed to be dragging so much before, now it's a little bit easier because you have something you're looking forward to, something to hope for, so you spend the, then the rest of the day looking forward to the time with your friend after, even though the day is really the same as it was before. That text, that hope, helps make it easier. Our passage today is a little bit like that text message from a friend. It's a source of hope. And we know this because of the way Solomon is writing uh, Ecclesiastes. He's writing about how the entire world is just full of vanity. I mean, we've been covering that up to this point. Everything is vain, nothing new under the sun, life is fleeting, it is like vapors through your fingers. That's the world. And he's reflecting on this throughout all of Ecclesiastes. But in this section, just these seven verses, Solomon switches up his writing tense, his form. He starts writing in a proverbial form. He's writing Proverbs. And he hasn't done that before in this book. He's been doing it a different way. And all of a sudden, he started write, starts writing Proverbs. And we know he likes Proverbs. He wrote the book of Proverbs. But why would he switch up what he's doing? Well, he's trying to tell us that this section is important and it's different. And he's done this before. Even just a couple weeks ago, we had the section where he said there's a time for this and a time for that. And that was poetry that he threw in there. And the point of that is to invoke a real emotional response from the reader. And so in this section, he's now going to Proverbs. He's writing Proverbs in the middle of his reflection on the vanity of the world. Because what he's saying is, even though all is vain in this world and in this life, there is something that is not vanity. So his point through these seven verses is communicated through changing his form and then what he's even talking about, because he's talking about vanity in the world, but then he starts talking about communication with God. And it's just a, it's a switch from what he's been doing. So we know that it's different. We know it's important. And so what's he really trying to communicate in these seven verses? His point is this. Hope. In a world full of vanity, hope is found in our relationship with God. And he gives us two hopes, two types of hope 
in the midst of this. One, eternal hope. All is vanity, everything in the world. That's what he's saying. But God is not vanity. God is steady, he is true, he is faithful. And the world may seem hopeless at times, circumstances may seem overwhelming, but hope is found in a relationship with God. And Solomon is emphasizing that that relationship is completely possible. We can have a relationship with God. See, God is fully and infinitely good. There is nothing evil or bad about him. We sin, though. We do evil. And so that puts a wedge between us, separates us from God in a way. So God did something about it because he wants relationship with me and with you. So he entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life that we cannot, understands everything we've gone through. And then he died upon the cross as payment, rightful payment for the evil that we do, the sins that we commit. He was buried, raised three days later, appeared to many and proved that he raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. All of that to show us that we can have a relationship with God for all eternity. It's not something that just happens in a moment, but it's ongoing forever, a relationship. And Solomon is pushing this because this is unique. At the time, especially, religions didn't teach that you could have a relationship with deities. It was you just hope that you please them enough that they don't squash you. Or you, or you hope that maybe you do enough that they would give some kind of blessing. But there's no communication. There's no relationship. And so Solomon emphasizing this, he is pushing it saying, our God is the true God because he loves us. Us. As individuals, he wants a relationship with you. And that relationship is completely possible and available. So that hope is eternal. And it gives comfort in a world that's just full of vanity. And two, he gives us daily hope. We get daily hope in our normal, everyday circumstances because of our relationship with God. Because our relationship is alive. The reason why he's using communication in these seven verses is because he is saying that our relationship is not one-sided. It is a back and forth with God. We are able to actually live in a relationship as we understand it. And so that gives us comfort and joy and peace and hope throughout everything that's happening in our lives. And so Solomon wants us to know that we can have eternal hope and daily hope even though the world is vanity. God is not. Hope is found in our relationship with God. That's his big push in these seven verses. But Solomon offers a warning. And that's going to be what we spend the rest of our time in, is this warning so let's jump back to our hypothetical situation. Our day is dragging. We get a text. It's just a little bit brighter. We're able to kind of have something to look forward to. Makes everything easier. We're going to go out with our buddy, spend some time one-on-one, -on -one, right? 
A little bit later in the day, we get another text. And it, all it says is, hey, Kevin's coming too. <sighs> Kevin. <laughs> we wanted that time, right? We wanted to be able to be one-on-one because we're having a tough day. And we were looking forward to be able to hang out with our friend, be able to maybe vent a little, talk about our emotions, laugh and cry and all this stuff, and just have fun with our friend. But now we get this second text that somebody else is going to come, butting in on our time. And so now our, uh, our hope for that after, uh, after work event is just a little bit ruined. The day is a little bit more annoying again. We're not quite looking forward to it as much. We may even feel a little bitter toward Kevin for coming. Through no fault of our friends, either one of them, we've spoiled our hope. God offers himself to us in full relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he makes it happen. He does the work. And yet easily and often, we spoil our relationship with God because of our greed and selfishness, self-centered attitude. So Solomon recognizes this reality, and he warns us of this in this proverbial section. And one of his favorite ways to write Proverbs is through compare and contrast. We see this in the book of Proverbs all over the place, where the fool does this, but the wise man does this. And he's doing that again right here. It's kind of his go-to. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look in this passage, and we're going to apply the same compare and contrast and just make it easy to follow. What we're going to do is we're going to take a sentence, and we're going to fill in the blanks. The fool spoils his relationship with God by blank, but the wise finds hope in his relationship with God by blank. We're going to have three different ones that we're going to look at in our time. And so verse 1, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And so our very first sentence be able to see what's the fool do and what's the wise do when it comes to our relationship and communication with God. The fool spoils his relationship with God by being flippant. But the wise finds hope in his relationship with God by guarding his steps. The point of this is that it is easy for us to forget that God is God. Here's the creator all majestic, all powerful, all knowing. And he has deemed us worthy, even though we're not, to have a relationship with us. And what do we do? We bring him down to our level. Instead of striving to be able to honor and glorify him, we bring him to us in our own heads. We begin to think of God as existing for our benefit alone. And so this manifests itself in different ways. Maybe we only pray when we have a problem. We only come to God when we need something or want something. Or the only time that we find ourselves in Scripture is when we're going through something really emotional. 
and we're looking for something to kind of ease our spirit. And it's not bad that we go to God for these things, but is that the only time that you have any communication with him? The fool is flippant about who God is. And what they do is they turn God into a personal wish machine or an emotional patch to solve their problems. But the wise man, the wise man always guards his step when he enters into the presence of God. What that means is that the wise man, someone who has a healthy relationship with God, understands who God is and that we are not him. That God is not the same as us. We always keep in mind that God is amazingly all-powerful, amazingly gracious and good and merciful and majestic. And we treat him with reverence and awe and respect. That's what a wise man does. And I actually found myself earlier this week sinning against God in this way. I, I was being flippant. And so my foster daughter, she is amazing, but she, due to a lot of neglect and trauma, uh, she's a seven-year-old, almost eight years, but yet cognitively and emotionally and developmentally, she's more like a five-year-old. And so that makes a lot of things very difficult, especially being at school with her peers, where she is just not at the same level. And so even academics, just basic academics, is very difficult for her. And that's very difficult for me, to be able to walk with homework with her and to be able to, you know, be with her in those moments and do it well. I struggle with it because academics is super important to me personally, and I want her to succeed. And she struggles so much. So we were working on homework, and it was a worksheet that she's been doing since the beginning of the year. So it's even review. It's not new concept. It's nothing like that, which almost makes it worse for me because I expect her to know this because we've done it before. And she just could not get it. She was not getting there. She was getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated. It, it was not good. And so I leave because I have to go pick up the boys. And Nicole takes over helping her with her homework. And I get in the car and I start driving away and I just flip out. I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm afraid because, I mean, parents, you know all of our anger is pretty much because we're afraid for our kids in some way or another. I'm afraid she's not going to be able to, you know, do well in the future. I'm afraid she's going to be left behind in the education system. So, like, I am just at an emotional peak and I am just yelling at God and I am cursing and I am just upset and I'm just like, God, why is this happening? Why can she not get this? And I'm just going off. Now, God wants us to come to him with our stuff, right? But in that moment, in that car, I was not respecting my God. I was not honoring him. I was not speaking to him in a way that showed respect. And in the middle of my tirade, which was quite childish, really, but in the middle of it, all of a sudden it hit me what I was doing and it was like a bucket of cold water on me. And I remembered who I was talking to and that my attitude was completely unacceptable. I would never allow my kids to talk to me like that. 
I would not talk to anyone else in the whole world like that, even a stranger. And yet I thought it was okay to just unload on my king and my savior. I had to repent in that car and beg for forgiveness because that was just not the way to treat God. I sinned in that way. I was flippant and I was a fool. We need to remember that God is God and we are not and to honor him and to guard our steps as we enter into his presence. Not necessarily because we're afraid we'll be smited, but because he deserves our honor. The next part of this passage, starting still halfway through verse one, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. So our second sentence, the fool spoils his relationship with God by elevating his own will, but the wise finds hope in his relationship with God by conforming to God's will. This section is leaning heavily on the haste of our communication with God. And we can see that these things are kind of building on each other. If we do not have respect for who God is and what he does, then it's much easier for us to then not speak well to him and to elevate our own desires above his. And so Solomon's saying that the the fool speaks quickly and loudly, overwhelmingly, And the idea is not necessarily exactly, you know, how many words you use or how often, if you pray quick or slow or whatever your style is. That's not what Solomon's saying. What Solomon is pointing toward is that the fool is the one that speaks so much that he is drowning out God in favor of his own desires. And so Solomon's begging the reader to think, do you actually listen to God? Are you actually trying to know his will and his desires for you? And are you trying to understand what that actually means? His warning is against ignoring God's truth because you're too busy imposing your own desires upon your life and others. And the real dangerous thing is that we can eventually trick ourselves into thinking that my own desires are his desires when they're not actually related at all. And this comes out in so many different ways. It it could be always just wanting things and then complaining when you don't get it. Maybe just complaining about life circumstances in general. And it's not lamenting. You're not just grieving over maybe something that, you know, is difficult or tough, but you're just saying, this is an unfair. I deserve so much better. God, I honor you and I follow you in church, so you des- I deserve for you to give me this. Even if we don't necessarily say it that way, that's kind of our intention in some of these times. We expect our life to go a certain way and God better do it so that we can be the best Christian. We think that everyone and everything must conform to our own way of thinking. 
And it's not just us with the world or us and God personally. I mean, we see this in the church too between denominations. There's some doctrine that have multiple traditional interpretations which are acceptable to the church, and yet we find ourselves condemning other traditions just because they may disagree on a certain way of doing things, such as dunking or sprinkling on baptism. Is that going to save you or not? No, it doesn't matter. But yet we condemn other Christians because they may think differently. Because to us, we are more important than God is. Our way is more important than his way. So how do we know God's will? Well, he gives it to us very clearly. One, scripture. We've got this. God gave us the word of God so that we can know his will. We can know who he is. We can know what he wants and what he desires for our lives and for the church. So we've got the word of God right in front of us, available to us. It is no longer just the area of the priests and and a special elite as it was in the Old Testament. The new covenant comes in and says, I make myself available to everyone. It's right here. You don't have an excuse not to. Second, by studying scripture, studying theology, studying doctrine. And you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get a master's. You don't have to do anything like this. But just listen, study, pay attention. Listen to the preacher on Sundays. Go to classes, learn more. We are blessed here to have Marco preaching every single week. And he is an amazing preacher who loves God, loves the word, and does not speak heresy. That is a blessing, and I will tell you, it's not in every church. Appreciate Marco for what he does. Learn from him. Actually go in to Sundays and to classes and into any reading you do throughout the week and expect to learn something. Don't ever be at the point where you assume you know it already. That's how we're going to know God's will. And then lastly, it's through the wisdom of the collected community. We're surrounded by brothers and sisters who have been following God, some for their whole lives, some for a short time, but we love the same King, the same Savior, and He speaks to us through each other. Some of the biggest aha moments in my life have been just sitting with somebody during coffee and they rebuke me, or they challenge me, or they reveal something that they have learned during their week of reading. And the wisdom of this church is how you're going to learn the will of God. So pay attention to each other. Live in community and just listen. Don't always be talking to hear your own voice, but listen. And so when we do finally hear God's will and understand what that means, how do we act upon God's will? Simply, it's obedience. Just do it. And that's what Solomon says. This is directly from Solomon. The first part in this passage, uh, this uh, little section, is a direct reference to Samuel, to 1 Samuel 15, 22. Now it says here in Ecclesiastes, draw near to listen is better than to off the sac- 
offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So in 1 Samuel 15.22, it says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Solomon is straight up pointing to Samuel and saying, Obey. Don't love yourself so much that you cannot obey God. God is good. He is amazing. He is wonderful. He is the best in every single way. Obedience is the indicator of whether you actually believe that. Because if you live in disobedience, then whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, you're saying my way is better. The more that we conform to God's will, the more we are going to reflect his righteousness and the better our relationship with him is going to be. The next section starts at verse four. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So our third statement, the fool spoils his relationship with God by making empty promises. But the wise finds hope in his relationship with God by fearing God. How often in our society, in movies, shows, whatever, in media, do we kind of hear the cliche of, God, if you just save me from this, then I will live a better life. I will do this. I will whatever. Just save me from this. Right? You hear it all over the place in different things. It's very common. And it's very upsetting. It should be for the Christian. It's a very upsetting thing to hear because it is completely wrong in every single way. And yet, how often do we do the same ourselves? We'll maybe pray, God, if you just take this temptation away from me, then I can be the Christian that you want me to be. We may say, if I can just get this job, then I'll have security for my family. Then I can disciple them well. Then I can steward them. God, if I can just get this raise, then I'll make a little bit more money. Then I can help pay off more of my loans. And then I can give to the church. We do this constantly. Making vows to God is a tricky business because most of the time we do not mean it and we're turning it into exactly that, a business. We try to make a business deal with God. We care nothing for him, care nothing for his ways, who he is, what he's done for us. We just know that we could get something out of him. And so we try to manipulate God to get something out of him. 
completely knowing that we're not going to do it. So be careful with what you promise to God because you're turning your relationship into a business transaction. And that is insulting. It would offend me if my friend comes to me and basically tries to make a deal with me to hang out. Nobody likes that. But that's what you're doing to God when you try to make deals with him. Say, I will obey in this area, but only when these conditions are met. And then when you break your vow, because he does bless you and, and love you, even though you don't deserve it, and then you don't do what you said you were going to do, then you're just lying to him, manipulating. And Solomon even addresses this in here, and he says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? That's a very nice way for Solomon to say, how could you be so stupid? You try to make a deal with the all-powerful God and then renege on it? How are you so dumb? It's exactly what Solomon's saying, not me, Solomon's saying. <laughs> Instead, we need to honor God. Remember our first point, guard your steps, honor and respect him. Remember who God is. And then fear him. And fear in scripture means that we are treating God with proper reverence, love, and respect that he is owed. And if we truly do that, then we are a lot more careful with the way that we communicate with him. And then our relationship with him is going to be stronger. It's going to be better. Our lives are going to be better from it. And our relationship is going to be rightly ordered where he is supreme and we are not. So in your relationship with God, don't be a fool. Be wise. Act as a wise man does. Because the result of being a fool, what is that? What's the result? You take a beautiful relationship with the all-powerful, the majestic, awe-inspiring, gracious, merciful, all-loving, all-good, and righteous God. And you turn it into religious vanity. Just as fleeting, empty, worthless, vapors in your hands as everything else in this world. God wants to have relationship with you, and our hope is found in relationship with God, not religion not rites. The sacraments are wonderful and we do them because they are good and they are holy things to do, but doing this does not make you a Christian. It does not mean you have a relationship with God. Our relationship with God is more important. Coming here every single Sunday and being faithful to attend does not mean you have a relationship with God. You reading more books, studying more theology, reading a bunch of dead dudes, that does not make you a better Christian if you have no relationship with God. You can serve on every single team on Sundays. You could be a CG leader. And if you do not know him personally and in relationship, then it means nothing. Religion is not what we're about. 
And Solomon says that if you go about your life and you are so focused upon yourself that you never think about God in terms of a relationship with him, then your religious pursuits are just vanity like everything else. But the hope is that God is not. He is available and he wants you. He loves you. He wants to have relationship with you. He is your eternal hope and your daily present hope right now in everything that you do and every single moment offered through Jesus Christ. And so if you're in here right now and you do know who he is, but you have found yourself in some of these situations where you're like, man, I have been a fool. I have not been the wise man, as Solomon says, then repent. It's not too late. He says that no, nothing and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. He wants you to be wise again. Come back to him. Renew your commitment, your covenant. He's never broken it, and he will forgive you for breaking it. So repent, come back to him. Maybe you're in here and you've never actually made any kind of commitment to God. You're just trying to figure this out, or you like some of the stuff, but you're not exactly sure how that works. Now's the time when you can actually enter into relationship with God. You don't have to wait. One of the, one of the biggest things that I hear when I talk to non-Christians about faith and about God and about all this, especially here in the valley, I often hear man, I just have so much stuff going on right now. I know that I'm sinning because I was raised in the church. or I went to mass my whole childhood and I know that my life is not what God wants. And so I need to kind of get these things in order before, you know, I, I really enter into any kind of relationship or, or join a church or anything. And that's just simply not true. Because even in that, what you're basically saying is that if I take care of all this stuff, then I will be able to have the Christian life. If I take care of this stuff, then God will love me. It's turned around. God loves you first. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are or how broken you think you are. God loves you first. Your deliverance has already happened. It's done, paid for, sealed in Jesus Christ. He just wants you to come to him. And then he's saying, we'll deal with that stuff. But first come to me. Have relationship with me. So if you've never known him today, you can. And if you have known him and that still resonates with you because you've been rebelling in certain areas, you've got a sin that you have been hiding in the background and nobody knows about, but you know about it and you're just, just dreading the day that comes to light. God says you are delivered already. Just come to me. We'll deal with it. Don't allow your selfishness your pride and your greed get in the way of a relationship with God. Our hypothetical situation presented a moment, a very clear moment, when that second text came in. What would the response be? Would it still be hope and joy that we get to hang out with our friend? Or were we going to spoil it 
with selfishness. We're faced with that same moment every single day. We are surrounded by vanity, by sorrow, grief, fear, anger, circumstances that are completely out of our control. That is this world, vanity. But if you know God and you have a relationship with him, that offers hope. And so these moments, they come to us and we have a response that we need to choose. Will you embrace that hope and find hope in it, find joy in it, comfort through all things, through your relationship with God? Or are you going to spoil it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for all you do, for who you are, that you love all of us. You want to have a relationship with us. You desire us. We do not deserve that, and yet you still want it. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that if there is anybody in this place where their heart is just yearning for the freedom that comes in relationship with you, Holy Spirit, push them. Squeeze on them. And if that's you in this place and you're feeling that prompting, you feel that squeeze on your heart, you're nervous and you're sweating a little bit, man, that's the Holy Spirit. He wants you to come into relationship. Do it today, right now. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, never been a believer, now is the time to repent, to turn away from the sin, those things that are keeping you from God, and say, I want that relationship. He's calling you, come to me. Take that step today, right now. No matter what else is going on, don't try to make it a transaction. He just wants you. Today is the day to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Your name. Amen.